Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone joining with us for worship this evening, both those in the building here and those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 95. It's page 357 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song, Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us everyone a joyful noise make to the rock of our salvation. Down to verse 6. O come and let us worship him. Let us bow down with all. And on our knees before the Lord, our Maker, let us fall. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we realize that your command to us in the song we have just been singing is to sing to you. 
There are days we don't feel like singing. But it's not because you haven't given us reason to sing. The fault lies within ourselves. And we have failed to stop and to contemplate the truths that have been revealed in that song to us. But we realize that we will need these things revealed to us in the song. We know by very dint of the way you made us. That when we interact with the sea and the mountains and the valleys. That there is something within us that registers and that knows that you are, in the words of Francis Schaeffer, the God who is there. Not only the God who is there, but the God who is there and he is not silent. You speak to us in so many different ways. And on a day like this, your voice towards us is crystal clear. We come to your special revelation and it tells us that in six days you made this planet and indeed everything else in the universe. These are astonishing truths. And sometimes we think of you in terms of human capabilities. But we very much limit you. And that is one of our major problems. We put a limit on you in so many different ways. But we pray that we would come this night and do what the song tells us we ought to do. That we might fall on our knees in worship and in adoration. We do realize that in our twistedness and fallenness, we are so good at being religious. We can go through all the outward rituals with our hearts being far, far away from you. But we cannot hoodwink you. We pray that this night we would come in sincerity and we would seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. The psalmist said, To thee I lift my soul, O Lord, I trust in thee. And we pray that this night we would indeed lift up our souls to you in worship that is acceptable, and that we would do so because we absolutely trust in you. We cannot trust ourselves. We know something about ourselves. And we cannot afford to trust ourselves. We are so fickle and so ready to go from one end of the spectrum to the next. But may we come in all our fragility and in all our fickleness to the great King and the great God who will listen to our every cry. And who will meet us at our point of need. We pray that as we gather here this night. That the sun of righteousness would shine into our hearts. Just as the literal sunshine out there is causing its rays to fall on this planet. And giving life to everything. May the sun of righteousness shine into the darkness of our hearts and revive us, bring us to life and invigorate us and enable us to live in a way that is God-honoring and that is acceptable. We give thanks once again this evening hour for the Queen. 
We thank you for the example she has set and the dedication to duty she has shown over 70 years of being on the throne. She, like everyone else, is not shielded from the ups and downs of everyday living. She, like everyone else, has her share of family problems, but we thank you for the dignity she has shown in the midst of it all, and we pray that you'd continue to, to bless her. We pray that you'd remember us as a nation. We pray for all who are in authority, that they would use their authority wisely, and that it would all be guided by your revelation to us. We think of the troubled spots of the world this night, and in particular Ukraine. We think of the terrible devastation and havoc that has been caused there, and we pray, O oh Lord, that for those who are in authority, who are abusing that authority, <clears throat> that they would be brought to naught. We pray that um, you would remember us as a community as we mourn afresh the death of someone we loved. Bless the Taylor family. You are speaking to us again and again and again in the events of life, O Lord, our God. We pray that whatever else we might do in life's journey, we would come to our end of it, trusting in you. We pray, O Lord, that the day will come when many will be more interested in coming to worship you than anything else on this your special day. Remember all who are facing difficulties. And remember especially those who are facing difficulties all alone. Perhaps the nature of the problem is such that it cannot be shared with anyone else, but it can be shared with you. May we remember that wherever we get ourselves to in life's journey, you've been there before. You know it all inside out. And so we can truly unburden our souls at your footstool. Be with us then, we pray. Guide us and keep us. And bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm 73 and it's found on page 316 of the Psalter, Psalm 73 at verse 23. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. Thou dost me hold by my right hand and still upholdest me. Thou, with thy counsel while I live, will me conduct and guide, and to thy glory afterward receive me to abide. Verses 23 to 28 of Psalm 73. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee.
we find it in the book of Genesis and at chapter 3. The book of Genesis chapter 3 and at the beginning of the chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, <clears throat> You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way. To the tree of life. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord our God. We pray that as we turn to explore your word this night. That you would be with us. We need our eyes open because by nature we are just so blind. We realize, O Lord, that Adam was in a wonderful communion with you. But that was broken. We thank you that the second Adam can bring us back into a wonderful communion with you. And we thank you that unlike the first Adam, that communion cannot be broken. We realize that salvation is of your making from the very beginning to the very end. Help us, O Lord, each and every day to trust in you. And please help us not to emulate Adam as he tried to cover up his nakedness with the leaves from the garden. So often that's what we try to do, to sort out our own problems and find a covering for our own sin. But we thank you that we don't need to do that because you made provisions for them. It required the shedding of the blood of animals to give them the covering of these animal skins. But we realize that from the word go, you were telling the human race that there is a solution to the problem man has created. And then that solution is provided by God himself. And here we are in the 21st century and nothing has changed. We still have that major problem. But your provision is provided for us. Not in the bloodshed of animals, but in the blood that was shed at Golgotha. The blood that every Old Testament sacrifice pointed to, that of the only Redeemer of God's elect, 
the man Christ Jesus. And so we pray that you'd be with us this night. And we pray that you'd be with your people throughout the world, some perhaps gathering in twos and threes, and some all alone for one reason or another. But we cannot be all alone if you are with us. And so we thank you once again this night for sounds of little voices in our midst. We thank you for them and we pray that you'd bless them. Bless them, born and unborn of this congregation. And watch over not just the young, but those in middle years and those who are drawing to an end of life's journey. But then, who knows how near the end of our life's journey any one of us is. We pray that we would be wise about the one burning issue that we would attend to the one thing needful by fleeing to Jesus. And may that be true not only of us as individuals, may it be true of us as family units, wherever our loved ones are found this night. O Lord, O God, may we be safe in Jesus for time and for eternity. Bless us all, we pray, and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm 119 and it's at verse 33. It's page 402 of the Psalter. Psalm 119 at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the perfect way of thy precepts divine. And to observe it to the end I shall my heart incline. Give understanding unto me, so keep thy law shall I. Yea, even with my whole heart I shall observe it uh, carefully. Verses 33 to 40 of Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the perfect way.
Now let's turn to the book of Psalms. I'm actually going to look at it in the Scottish Psalter, the first version of the Scottish Psalter. And that's because that's the version that will be most familiar to uh, perhaps us all, certainly most of us. And we will continue our studies in this particular psalm this evening. Psalm 25, at verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord, thy paths, O teach thou me. And do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be. For thou art God that dost to me salvation send, and I upon thee all the day expecting do attend. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore a little bit more of this particular uh, song. We looked at the outset at the fact that uh, the writer of this song wants to lift up his soul to uh, God in inacceptable worship. It is just so easy for us in our deviousness and in our fallenness to go through an outward ritual that is not worship at all. If you remember the difference between the worship of Cain and the worship of Abel, they were both religious beings and they both went through particular religious rituals and God accepts what Abel offers to him. God rejects what Cain offers. And the difference was this. Abel listened to what God had to say. And Abel fell in with what God had to say. Cain did not listen to what God had to say. Or at least he may well have listened and then rejected. And did his own thing. And as I said in my prayer this evening, we are so good at hoodwinking one another. And we are so good even at hoodwinking ourselves. But you cannot hoodwink this God. And he rejected Cain's uh, worship. But this song is a reminder to us that outward ritual is governed by our inner being. And this David wants to offer up to God soul worship. Now sometimes we use soul and spirit synonymously. But we remind ourselves of this, that soul worship or spiritual worship must be in spirit and in truth. In other words, it engages our souls but it's not left to ourselves to make up our minds how we're going to worship. We come to the truth of God as it is on the pages of Scripture. And that's what governs how we worship a God. And you remember that we looked at the fact that every soul has an intellect. Every soul has a capability of making decisions. There's volition there. And every soul has emotions. And whether we're saved people or not, that's true of a soul. Intellect, volition and emotions. But here is a human being. And he wants to engage his soul, intellect, e volition and emotions. 
He wants to lift up a soul to God. That's not the way of the world. The way of the world can be very religious. But it doesn't really want to lift up its soul to God. It doesn't want to bend the ear, listen to what God has got to say, and worship God in spirit and in truth. But the believer, the believer does. And you'll remember last week we explored something of the ways of God. And we explored something of the salvation of God. And we explored something of the hope of God. What I want to do tonight is I want to go back and look in particular in a little more depth at this idea of the ways of God. We mentioned in the sermon this morning that life is a journey. Wherever it leads us to, that can be true of the whole of the human race. The human race is on a journey. And if we remain the way that we're born into this world, born in sin and shaped in iniquity, the ultimate destination of that journey is the lostness of the lost. And that is a formidable truth. But the glory of the gospel is this, that human beings such as we are have the message, the good news of Jesus of Nazareth preached to us. And we either respond or we don't respond. As we said in the sermon this morning, the call of the gospel goes out, the offer of the gospel goes out. In some that call is effectual. It has an effect. And that is part of the overall sovereignty of God. But God does treat us as responsible human agents. And what God is looking for from us is a response to the call and is a response to the author. He wants us to listen to him and he wants us to embrace the gift that he's uh, offering now so many of us have spent so many of our years in religious activity and the whole drive and the whole attempt has been to somehow sort out the mess of our own lives so that God will be attracted to us and God will take us to heaven to be with him and that is an exercise in absolute Futility. And it does seem to be the case that we are slow to learn that truth. But the glory of the gospel is this we don't need to sort ourselves out. What Jesus offers to us is an absolute and utter gift. He offers himself in substitutionary atonement. And you know the astonishing thing tonight is this. And I almost hesitate to say it. Because at one level it almost sounds too presumptuous. But it's not presumptuous. It's the truth as it is revealed on the pages of scripture. In the eyes of a holy God. In terms of justification. A believer tonight is as holy as Christ is. 
Now I know in our experience that's not the way it is. Because sin remains and the battle continues till we draw our last breath. I'm not talking about sanctification just now. I'm talking about justification. And justification has to do with our standing before God. It's a forensic term. It's from the law courts. It's God who's on the on the bench, so to speak, and God declares people to be guilty or not guilty. And that's the astonishing thing about people who flee to Christ in all their sin and in all their misery. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that in the eyes of God, there is no sin. You think, how on earth does that work? When you feel you're the greatest sinner in the world. It works in terms of substitutionary atonement. Because when you flee to Jesus it works two ways. You run in all your sin and poverty to him. And you cry out to him for mercy. And you give it all to him. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story is this. He gives you something. And what he gives you is his perfect righteousness. And so tonight, in terms of justification, you are here as a believer, are as spotless and holy in the eyes of God as Jesus of Nazareth. And you can understand why I have almost reservations about saying that, thinking, well, that, that's just too presumptuous altogether. That's just almost too good to be true. I'm not saying it. I'm not the one that's saying it. God is telling us that there is therefore no condemnation. And you know, the opposite of condemnation is justification. It comes from the truth of the book of God's revelation to, 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 to the human race. No wonder this man, David wants to respond to this astonishing news by lifting up his soul. To thee I lift my soul. But this individual, in response to what God has done for him, wants to be shown the... Show me thy ways, O Lord. And... Yes, there is this idea of he is now on a journey and his life's journey is going to lead to the glories of heaven itself. But there is also this idea that on the journey of life, every single day, we have decisions to make, either to honour God or not to honour God. And let's remember this, that even in our fallenness, before we are ever saved, there is still within each and every human being this thing that we call conscience. And someone once described conscience as God's voice box within, and I do think that's a good way of describing conscience. You know, you know how it is. You've got to make a decision. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. 
But there's nobody else in on this. You can do the wrong. And nobody else will know about it. And yet there is something within you that's battling away. A lot of people here will be far too old to remember the comics that we used to buy. There was the Beano and there was... I can't remember what the other ones were called, but there was there was one character, and you know, each I think it was each week or a fortnight you got the comic, and there were various characters, and and one of the characters I think was was Dennis the Menace, and sometimes you get a picture of Dennis the Menace, and on this shoulder there was a wee angelic figure, and on this shoulder there was a wee devil demon. And you could see him working away in his mind. Right, what am I going to do? Will it be right or will it be wrong? That's exactly the way it is in life's journey. Now, I am not saying that conscience will always be right. Because part of our fallenness and part of our warpedness is that conscience can be defective. But it's not just via conscience that God speaks to the human race. We have this book before us. From Genesis to Revelation, a hundred, rather 1,500 years of God speaking to over 40 different characters, giving him that which he wants to convey to us as a human race. Now, God hasn't revealed everything. He has revealed to us what he has chosen to reveal to us. But what he has revealed to us is Utterly and absolutely astonishing is stuff. And so, for the believer as he goes along, or she goes along life's journey, there are all these decisions to make, and we either go in a way of obedience or disobedience. And sometimes it's difficult to work out in our conscience which way am I going because conscience still operates in a believer. But a believer takes everything to the touchstone of God's word and measures up every decision. At least that's the way it ought to be according to what God has revealed. But here's a problem. Sometimes we know very, very well what way God wants us to take. But we don't want to go in that way. We simply don't want to walk in it. And I'm going to give you some examples of people knowing very well what God's way is but choosing not to walk in it and that's why we read in the book of Genesis this evening because there you have Adam and Adam is significant because Adam is the representative of the human race and Adam falls and in the fall of Adam we all fall Now some people might complain bitterly about this. 
I am born into this world as a fallen creature because of my connection with Adam. And you can rage against God because of that. Well, you know, that kind of raging will go on endlessly. You won't find peace there. But that is the truth. We are born in sin and shaped in iniquity and we cannot help it. But you cannot continue to rage against God when you look at the provision God has made because God has sent a second Adam into this world and this second Adam will put everything right for you if you want it to be that way. And of course the second Adam is none other than Christ himself. But you'll remember how it was and of course Eve is involved in this and You know, it's, 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 it's a great mystery as to how two people who are utterly and absolutely holy and in absolute communion and union and fellowship with God should rebel against him. But the enemy comes along and the enemy sows thoughts into the mind of Eve and it's not just that you shall not eat of the fruit of that one particular tree somehow or other that enemy broadens it out to say you can't even touch it now God never did say that what God said was this and you know God was exceedingly generous there is nothing niggardly and there is nothing mean and there is nothing harsh about God because he basically gave them this whole garden of Eden and he said it's yours you do what you want with it you do whatever you want with it I just want to keep one solitary tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden don't eat of the fruit of that tree that's all God said but the enemy comes along and the enemy is broadening it to don't eat it and don't dare touch it and by and by has God really said and the whole idea is this what the enemy is doing is turning everything on its head the enemy is trying to get them to think that God's hemmed them in that God's limited that there's terrible prohibitions that's the way it is with this God but I'm not like God because I'm all out for you and I'm all out for your welfare. And I know that in the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to become like God. That God that's so niggardly and mean and jealous, he doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to be just like that himself and nobody else. But I'm out for you and your cause. You can see how he is described as a deceiver. 
And that's the way he comes at us with every sin. This is going to be for your benefit and you're going to get so much out of it. And he's a liar. And he is a murderer because that's what he does. He murders souls. And you know, um, Adam ultimately, ultimately eats of that forbidden fruit. And immediately God's word comes to pass. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And his spiritual life is dead. Completely and utterly. And of course he's still very religious. They get these leaves and they cover up their nakedness. And they not only cover up their nakedness, they begin to hide from God in the bushes of the garden. And you know, you look at it and you almost want to laugh. And think, the laugh of ridicule that is, not the laughter of joy. The laughter of ridicule. How, How ridiculous is this that you think you can hide in the bushes of the garden from the all-seeing eye of God. But that's the way it goes. Until God says, Adam, where art thou? And of course, it's God asking a question that he knows the answer to very well. And you think, well, why does God ask a question when he knows what the answer is? God asks us many questions, not for his own benefit, but for our benefit, so that we will face up to the reality of our own situation. That's the way it goes. Adam, where are you? And Adam... Has chosen a particular way. And what a devastating way it was. Adam knew what God was asking of him. Adam knew the way of God. And Adam chose another way. And there are massive consequences to that. Let me give you another example. Abraham 4,000 years ago. Abraham is married to Sarah and because of the exigencies of life's journey he finds himself in another country. Sarah is very, very beautiful. And Abraham is really worried that his life is going to be at risk Simply because of the beauty of Sarah. Abraham knows how the human mind works. And Abraham tells a lie. And someone might well say, now hold on a minute. It was a half-truth. Yes, it was a half-truth. But half a truth is a lie. He said of Sarah, she is my sister. And there was an element of truth in that. And you get this, you know, as you read that passage of scripture, you cringe with embarrassment. Because here at the end of the story, after Abraham tells his lies and, and, and decides, no, I'm not going to go the way of God. I know the way of God is to be upfront and honest about these things, but I'm not going, that's too risky, far too risky for me. 
And so he chooses to go another way. And so you get this individual who's in covenant with God and he has been chased out of a country with his tail between his legs. And you think, that's not the way it's meant to be. It was meant to be the other way around. When God chose Abraham, God chose him to be the father of a particular nation and this nation was the nation that was going to show the other nations of the world what it was like to be in relationship with the covenant God, with the one great living and true God. As you look at the history of the nation, you realize how often it got it wrong. And you realize how often the father of the nation got it wrong as well. Abraham, he didn't just falter once, he faltered more than once. But I do think that we can, in our lives, chime with that. Because we know the ways that God would have us walk in so often. And we may have been believers for decades, but I'm not going that way today, not today. And there are consequences uh, to that. Let me give you one more example. Peter. Peter was so committed to Christ that in his own estimation he was much superior to any of the other disciples. How much he had to learn. Because you'll remember when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and there's the consequent um, interview in the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, and then Pilate and Herod and back to Pilate and that whole sad, sorry scenario. And ultimately you get Peter denying Jesus three times over. Peter wasn't chosen by Christ to deny him in that ugly and horrible way. He was chosen to receive this great gift of salvation and his response ought to be one of of um, not just acceptance but in our willingness to show commitment and dedication to this Christ. But it all went out the window. It all completely... Why did it go out the window? Because Peter made a conscious decision. I am not going to go in the ways of justice and honesty and truth. I'm not going to go in the ways that God would have me go in. I'm going to go in my own way. And that's why there comes a moment in time when Peter goes out into a cold Jerusalem night and weeps, weeps bitterly. Now it's interesting with Abraham, what was his problem? He was scared of other people. And that was the exact same problem with Peter. He was scared of other people. And so often of our decisions in life's journey are made because we are scared of other people. I'm not sure how it was with Adam. Who was there for him to be scared of? So why did he do what he did? I think we can say this much. 
that when you begin to listen to the devil and latch on to that way of going about things the twistedness and the depravity and the deformity of fallen humanity comes to the fore and it doesn't need much of a reason to be doing that which is dishonouring to God it doesn't really need a reason for going in its own ways and disrespecting the ways of God but I don't want to finish on that note tonight I don't want to finish on the note that says even in a blessed situation where we are covenant people and uh, through justification we are as holy in the eyes of God as Christ himself was and yet we can do that, these kinds of things. That's not where I want to end. Where I want to end is this. God in his mercy is such that he doesn't leave his own people to go their own way. He pulls us back to his way. And you know, that's the security of every believer tonight. The security of a believer is found not in himself or herself. The security of a believer is found in who God is and what he is about. And this believer comes and knows. This believer is David. This is David the liar, the murderer, the adulterer. This is the David who knows that he's gone his own way far, far too often. This is the David who also wrote Psalm 51 in contrition and in penance. And it's this David that is saying, Show me thy ways, O Lord. And I think he's also saying, And help me, please help me, to walk in them. And may that be true of each and every one of us this night. May our prayer be, show me thy ways, O Lord, and help me to be committed to your ways, because therein lies my blessing and my contentment and my peace. Let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 143. It's the second version of the song and it's at verse 6. It's page 439 of the Psalter. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. For thou well understands all my complaint and moan. My thirsting soul desires and longeth after thee. As thirsty ground requires with rain refreshed to be. Let's sing verses 6 to 10 of Psalm 143. Lo, I do stretch my hands.
Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide.